like to talk to, to I would like to talk to you today about being brave, about being bold and confident and courageous. Um, I heard you've heard perhaps this tale about some dude who came into the dentist office and he was in a hurry and he said, "Doc, I need a tooth pulled." And I'm in a hurry. I got two buddies out here in the car. They're waiting. To, we're going golfing, and I don't have time to mess around. I don't even have time for anesthetic, uh, so don't even get your needle out and all that. Uh, I, we don't have time for any of that. I just like this tooth pulled. And the dentist said, man, wow, you are one brave dude. What, which tooth is it? And he turned to his wife and said, show him the tooth, honey. Show him the tooth that's hurting you, honey. <clears throat> It turned out he wasn't brave at all, and uh, and 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 sometimes uh, we others might think we're brave, but we may not be. I read the other day something that I thought was stated in a wonderful way. Uh, somebody said sometimes the essence of being brave is just not telling anyone that you feel afraid. Sometimes bravery amounts to not not acknowledging your fears, but focusing elsewhere, in other words. And I thought, for, I thought that's a great way to, uh, to think about it. But um, I want to spend a couple of weeks just talking about this reality. You know, when God breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve, it wasn't just animation. It wasn't just that these dry, dusty bodies got movement. And God, as, as if he lubricated up their joints and got them moving, and they're like some little clay animation figure. It's, it, it, it was not simply the, what I'm talking about, the Hebrew expression, the breath of life. is not simply movement or animation. It's something more beyond that. One of the, one of the words that I love uh, came out of uh, the, comes out of the uh, Eastern European Jewish community with their Yiddish language. They came up with this word, I don't know when, hundreds of years ago, chutzpah. And it, it, it has to, the word literally means cheek or nerve. It has to do with showing your cheek, standing up. It has to do with, with a spark that's just not easily blown out like a flickering candle. Utzpah is, is audacity, to stand up and, and, and cause something to happen or believe in something or express something. You know, um, speaking of the Jewish community in Eastern Europe, um, you know, tragedy in the 20th century with Hitler was how he first of all herded them into ghettos and then he shoved them onto cattle cars and then he shoved them into the ovens at the uh, concentration camps, at the extermination camps. And many of them, by their own testimony and the testimony of, uh, of others um, who were there, many of them were like sheep and they just were, were docile and they were very diminutive and, and very um, subjective, or, so very much um, submissive. And they just went along with, these strong-willed captors and these strong-willed countrymen and uh, went to their deaths. But there were others. There were those who had chutzpah. And they didn't go so easily. And they didn't just collectively kind of march off into the cattle cars. They stood up 
Some of them died for their efforts. Others went underground and said, um, there's no reason for this. I'm not going to stand by idly and watch all my people be destroyed. I'm going to sabotage this machine. I'm going to subvert this effort. And they, they, they had something. You know, this was the image that came to me when I was trying to think of chutzpah, uh, of something that maybe would illustrate it. You know, uh, I got rid of my candle. A candle, you go, and it's, it's done. It blows out. But they make these things they call trick candles. Like for birthdays and for birthday parties and stuff, you've all seen them. I don't know what they, I don't know how they do them. I don't know what they do to them. I mean, I don't know how they manufacture them. But you can come up to them and go, and then, bloop, they come right back to life. And you look at it and you go, bloop. It's amazing. And the more angry you get, the more funny it gets. Because the more you blow them out, the more they're just determined to, that's chutzpah. That is, and that's not a biblical word. It's, I mean, it's, it's a Yiddish uh, word. But um, the Bible is filled with reminders to us to be bold and be confident and be brave. That this is the kind of life we should live. That, that if we're a balloon, we've got so enough water in us, we don't need to be afraid of the flame. Just, just hang out if that's where we need to if that's what we need to do, because we have a reason not to fear. In fact, you know the, the passage very, very well in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. So as believers, as Christians, we should live in a way that is not fear filled with fear. And is not all the time dictated to by our fear of what will happen if we don't go along with something or if we don't uh, uh, do something that maybe, uh, maybe our culture is trying to tell us to do. Um, some of you are familiar with this guy and some of you perhaps not. Um, going back to the Jews and the Holocaust it makes me think about a guy named Nicholas Winton. And uh, he became, uh, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth. He became very famous towards, uh, uh, within the last few years. I think he recently passed away, just a couple years ago. <clears throat> Remarkable story. This young man was in England in the, in the 1930s. He was a stockbroker, a finance, financier. He was going to go on holiday, on, on vacation, skiing in, I think it was Austria or Switzerland or somewhere. And somehow, somebody called to him, uh, this was in 1938, Kristallnacht had just happened. This was the night where the wrath of the German, uh, of Hitler, just exploded, and they went into the Polish ghettos, and they broke all the windows, and they burned uh, cathedrals and uh, synagogues and buildings, and, and uh, just terrorized and vandalized the Jewish community. It just happened. I think it was in September, and this, this event, maybe it was in October, when this guy, Nick Winton, who was just an Englishman whose parents were Jews and had immigrated into England, uh, when he was getting ready to go skiing, somebody said, why don't you come over here and see what's happening over here? We need some help. And he decided, he, 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 yeah, he would do that. He was single. He, he would just, so he ended up in Czechoslovakia instead of, uh, I think it was Switzerland where he was going to go ski. 
And what he saw there was the, the essence, he saw the prelude to the Holocaust. He, he, he saw the Jews being rounded up. He saw parents desperately trying to hide their children or get rid of their children before the, before the German war machine consumed them. And Nicholas Winton calmly turned around, went back to Britain, talked to politicians and said, we got to allow them to immigrate to our country. He did all legwork. He, he got some laws passed to allow immigration of children of Eastern Europe. And then he went back and he set up shop in a hotel room. And he, and he said in his, his story, it's been made into a movie, um, the, the, biggest, the, the biggest issue was uh, getting a good forger. And he, he got a guy who was very good at forging documents. And he just cranked them out. And be before it was all done, to make a very short story out of it, Nicholas Winton had put 669 Jewish children on a train, on trains, and got them to England, and he saved their lives. These parents were coming with their children, offering them, begging him to, and he ran this right under the nose of all the Nazi uh, things that were happening. He, he didn't, he, he wasn't a trained agent or anything like that, and he just, he just went in there and rescued kids. And for 50 years, he never told anybody about it. It wasn't even known. And uh, it didn't even come out until just, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And he suddenly became a great hero and stuff. But this is one of the things he said. When they asked him, how could you be so brave as to do this when lives were, people were disappearing and, 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 and danger was all around you? And he said, I wasn't focused on any of that. He said, I had a job to do. There was, there was a lot that needed to be done to try to rescue kids. And he said, I was so busy doing that, I didn't have time to be afraid. That's one of the, that's one of the ways that we fight against fear. We put our focus on what we are called to do, on what's important and what's before us and, and what needs us. And we don't have time to be afraid. I think, you know, he was saying in that interview that I heard, uh, uh, I, I don't consider myself bold or courageous. I wasn't a crusader. I was just busy saving kids. Because that captured my heart. So I want to talk about this reality of, of, of being brave. This... Um, became a thought to me a couple of weeks ago when Josh Lance read scripture, and it was Psalm 91. Uh, he read it as part of a, a service maybe a month ago, and it triggered within me uh, a response. These, the, one of the phrases of Psalm 91, I'm going to read it, is, you will trample on the lion and the serpent. And I thought, whoa, I'm walking along and here's a lion laying in my path. I just tramp right on top of him. I'm walking along and there in my path or in my doorway or opposing me is a serpent, a cobra. And it says you will walk across him. Don't worry about him, just walk right over top of him. That's confidence. That's boldness. That's courage. And... That's the balloon hanging out over the flame because it's not worried about it. This is the kind of life we should be able to live. 
This is the kind of life God intends for us to live. Let me read, if you will have a scripture read with me, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and cover you under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart, and you will not fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day. I mean, these things are all happening, and they're going to happen. But he says you, we don't need to be afraid of them in our, in our attitude of living. You will not fear these things, or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. The theology of that is there is it, it seems like that if you're righteous, God will take care of you. If you're wicked, look out because this protection may not apply to you. Um, that's a bit of the theology at times of the Old Testament. And the New Testament kind of gives us some corrections on that. But I'm not that, I don't want to get into that. That's not my point this morning. Um, verse 9, if you, see the, if you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you and no disaster will come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Remember, this was the part of the temptation that Satan came to Jesus with. God's God, God will protect you. Go ahead, jump off the steeple. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him, and I will show him my salvation. Now, I have other thoughts that I want to bring over the next couple Sundays, but today I want to mention and focus on this particular one aspect that I think this psalm brings out, and it's saying that God will protect me when I am walking with God. If I am serving God, if I am in fellowship with God, if I am seeking to be obedient, if I'm trying to fulfill his purpose the best I know and understand, then he will take care of me because I do have a purpose and how's it going to help God if he takes me out and I've not fulfilled his purpose? He's going to leave me here. He's going to let me hang around until my purpose is fulfilled. And therefore, if I'm walking in that purpose, in other words, if I am walking in a way that's submitted to God and seeking to follow his will the best way I can uh, understand what it is, he's going to take care of me. I don't have to be afraid of anything. I don't need to worry about anything when I'm walking with God. And that is the condition. I'm not, I, I'm not familiar. I don't know what my, my PowerPoints are here because I don't have a list of my PowerPoints. So I might be a bit scattered here with these PowerPoints. But what I, what I wanted to notice is um, that there are, in this psalm, there's a condition that it, that it brings out. And 
Okay, here it is. The, there's several places that this kind of all comes together. In verse 1, all this protection, uh, the, the arrows and the bullets will fly around you, but they will not come near you, and disaster will strike over here, and disaster will strike over there, but it won't hit your tent. Um, this kind of stuff is predicated upon, verse 1, all of those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Or as it puts it in verse 9, making the Most High my dwelling. That's what I'm calling walking with God. It says, if you do this, for those people who do this, Here's a couple other places that it seems kind of a condition to me. Verse 2. If we actually trust God. The writer says, if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, make the Most, make, make the most High your dwelling. And if you say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my God in whom I trust. That's a condition. That's part of what God sees when He looks at our life. He sees not somebody who really doesn't believe, but he sees someone who walk, who's walking around perhaps in blind ignorance, but saying, he is my refuge and in him I trust. And that means a lot to God. And that's part of, of, of how the Lord can know that I'm trying to find his purpose. And look at verse 14 towards the end of that chapter. Because he loves me says the Lord, I will rescue him. You know, if you know that someone loves you, it's kind of hard to let them hang, isn't it? I mean, uh, if you have to walk away from some situation or, you, or you, you're kind of impotent and you don't know what to do, I tell you, if it's a stranger or if it's someone who loves you, it makes a, makes a huge difference how much effort you're going to give to try to rescue someone. And, and so he says, I, when, that, when, that man, when that man or woman down there is a person who's saying, but I love the Lord, I, then the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue him. And then verse, uh, verse 15 also, this seems to me to be part of it. He will call upon me and I will answer him. So part of this promise, this tremendous Statement about all this protection that God gives to us, about living free from fear. Part of it is hinges on these kind of statements, and this is what I'm calling walking with God. The Lord's saying, it's people that are talking to me along the way. That's the ones I hear. That's the ones I'm paying attention to. That's the ones I'm noticing. That's the one I'm putting, throwing the blanket over the snake and the lion so that they can't hurt this dude because they're talking to me all the way, and they're they're calling upon me. We're praying. Is is part of a, a part of the condition of what the Lord says causes me to rise up and let nothing interfere or harm or stop this person. I will protect these kind of people. Now, uh, I, I have two other two other main thoughts that I want to share, and. The first has to do with, the first, the, both of them have to do with how he protects or different aspects of the protection of God to help us to be confident and not live in fear. And the first one is, 
this, just this idea that there are different ways God protects us. There are different elements of protection that God gives us. And this psalm brings out two, two different sides of things, and that's what I want to point out. Uh, if I could read back again over verse 10. Uh, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That, to me, is a different idea than having struck my foot on the stone, I don't die from the injury. This one says, sometimes God protects us by not even allowing us to hit, to kick the stone or the rock. In other words, sometimes the way God protects us and the reason we can live fearful, fear, fearless lives is that he protects us from danger. Sometimes. And it's my experience and my observation that there are many, many, many times that this happens and we don't even know that the danger was nearby. We aren't even aware of the close call that we had. Maybe somebody else kind of pieced together some details and say, you realize, do you realize how much kind of danger you were in? No, I never even thought about it or it didn't dawn on me. Or probably, more likely, I'll never know in this life that some threat hung over my head and I was oblivious. But God protected me. And I didn't have to know because I was never even allowed to kick against the stone because the angel jumped in there and grabbed my leg or moved the stone or whatever it was that he did or that it did. This is deliverance out of danger. And the way I'm describing that is that this is part of why we can be confident and courageous. Some things that could happen are never going to happen because God prevented them. This could be a life-threatening situation, a disease or an illness or an accident. Um, this could be something that, you know, genetically could have gone wrong. This could be a million things. I mean, none of us can even imagine how many possibilities this statement covers that there are things in life that never happen because somehow an angel intervened. And I'm not saying that it's always an angel. This mentions an angel, and it says they will bear you up in their hands. I wish we could take the next hour and tell stories here, because we would have a lot of them about ways and times that we learned later or realized later that, uh, that God prevented somehow an accident from happening. He got involved in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to tell you a real quick story from my own life. Many years ago, um, and I could tell a lot of them. Many years ago, I was uh, making uh, some wooden swings for Rhodes Grove Camp. And uh, this involved, I was in my shop. This was late at night. It was probably 1 a.m. This involved cutting many, many pieces for all the slats and the ends and the and the arm armrests and so forth, hundreds, because uh, I was making I think it was six or eight swings at that time, and so I was I was there late at night just 
making these repetitive cuts. And you know what can happen to anybody at that kind of situation. And I happen to have, in this particular instance, a dado blade in my saw, which is a blade that opens up wide. You can take, you, you kind of cut a whole path through the wood rather than a kerf. You cut a wide swath through the wood, and I think I had it set at five-eighths uh, five of an inch. That's, that's more than a half and less than three-quarters. That's a chunk that you're taking out of a board. It was about probably 1 a.m., and as I made these repetitive, in the dado blade, you have your hand on top of literally the cutter because it's not coming all the way through the wood. You're cutting a channel. And so I, ha I would put my hands here and run this, these boards across, literally across the blade. There's really no other way to do it. I mean, you might use a guard of some sort, but you're, you're not pushing it into the blade. You, you are running it across the top of the blade. And um, as I did that that night over and over, I dozed off. And I can remember this quite distinctively today. I just fell asleep for a second as I was pushing this, this piece of, uh, th this was treated pine. As I'm pushing this across the blade, I just dozed off. And of course, when you doze off, you relax. And the heel of my hand went down into that dado blade as it came through the wood. Instead of being up on top, my hand had relaxed. And I felt the jolt. And I felt the pain and the scream of the nerves as, it, as right here on this right hand in the, in the flesh of the hand as that went up through my arm. And I know, and now I, I don't really even care whether you think this is foolish or not. It don't matter to me what you think. I was there that night. And I know my hand hit that blade. I never have had a bit of damage. There's never anything. There was never a mark, a burn, a, 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 a one one. Uh, there was not one mark on my skin. I, I have cut my hands on saws, so I know what it feels like, and that is exactly what it felt like. Um, I don't know what happened there. I mean, if, if there was somehow an angel, it, and here's another thing, you know, when you're, when you're running a table saw, the blade is coming toward you. The blade isn't pulling the wood away from you. It's driving it into the table, so when you... If you get your finger in a blade, it's going to pull it in. That's the tendency of, of, a, of a table saw because of the way, it's, the way it's turning. As I relax, because I momentarily blipped out and hit this blade, the tendency would be to pull it in tighter, not to shove it out. And my hand didn't fly up in the air. I had that happen one time when I hit a saw blade. But it didn't, it didn't but it hit me. It, I hit it. Now, I don't mean to spend all the time on this one e event, but it was, a, it was a, a moment I look back to in my life and say, God prevented something catastrophic uh, there and that for me that night. Um, I don't know how. I don't know why. And nobody has to persuade me about anything, and I don't have to persuade you about it. I know what happened. I felt the pain, but there was no cut. So... There are ways and times where it says here, he will guard you. And his angels will somehow just get involved in a moment that you're ready to kick against the rock. And they will keep you from getting bruised or they'll keep you from getting injured in, in somehow or in some way. So my point is this. I can be brave and be unafraid of threats. Because I can live with assurance and confidence that if I'm living my life in the, 
trying to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and I'm praying to Him, and I'm saying to the Lord, I love Him. <coughs> Excuse me. If I'm living my life this way, then, excuse me, um, I don't even worry about threats. Even if I am aware of them, I can say with confidence, well, if there's a lion or there's a cobra in my path, uh, they're just going to have to get out of the way. Or I'm going to walk right across top of them. One or the other, God is going to protect me from their evil intention. You know, I think of that saw blade almost like a snake biting you. I mean, it, it bit me, but the fangs wouldn't go in. Somehow, I, I don't know, I can't explain it. it was a, to me, it was a miraculous moment in my life where uh, a threat didn't materialize because God protected me. It certainly wasn't me. I, did not, I was not protecting myself. Okay, now, sometimes this is how God does it. He keeps bad things from happening so that we can live in confidence. Other times, I'll read these verses, 14 and 15, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him and protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Sometimes he prevents me from trouble, but sometimes he is with me in trouble, and he doesn't prevent. By the way, uh, just so you know, balance things out, Two other occasions, I have put fingers into saw blades. Um, both my pointer finger on this hand and my thumb was pretty much hamburger on the bottom of it one time. Um, why didn't God prevent trouble in those two instances? I don't know. I just remember seeing my thumb fly up in the air in front of me. And when I, I thought, that's odd. And as I came around, I saw this trail of blood on the wall. And I thought, where did that come from? had no idea that I'd butchered the bottom of my thumb. But, but my point is, uh, in those particular injuries, I'm still here. And I, I'm not only still alive, I can still use my hands. I can still play the piano, even having had my fingers cut. This is not protection from danger. This is deliverance out of danger. In, in other words, God works or protects me so that whatever injury I have or whatever uh, evil comes upon me is limited in its extent and it doesn't kill me, doesn't destroy me. I will, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. It's a different, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just a different perspective. Sometimes he keeps bad things from happening. Sometimes he allows me to go into the bad thing, but I didn't die. I'm still here. Because he wasn't finished with me. Now, I know this is, a, this is a tough thing to think about in the face of those or when we contemplate those who do die. And many people do get killed in accidents. And they do die of diseases. And many lives, you know, this last verse talks about God supplying long life. And I think about my sister, for example, who died two, two years ago. Or many others from our churches or your, our church or your family who... Who, who died well before what we would consider their natural time. And we say, well, what about those people? Why, God didn't protect them. He didn't give them long life and satisfy them with long life. And, 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 and God's promise seems to have broken down in that case. 
And my only response, and this is the theology that's formed elsewhere in the Bible by verses like Psalm 139, 16 that say, every one of my days was recorded in his book before one of them came to be. Or Hebrews 9, 27 that says, it is appointed unto a person once to die. There's, there's other places in the scripture that, form our, in, that inform our theology that say, yes, there's going to be some time when God does not protect you. And that's going to be your final episode and your final adventure and the final danger that you have to face. Because through that, you're going to be overwhelmed and you are going to physically be destroyed and you're going to die. But God, but God protected you up until that time. And so my theology says, if that was the, the time that he called me, then my purpose was finished on this earth. He didn't need me here anymore, so he takes me. Every one of us, at some point or other, are going to succumb to some danger that we weren't protected from. But up until that time, God is saying, I'm going to uh, bring you out of every danger, and it's not going to destroy you. It might injure you, might change you, might debilitate you, but it's not going to take you. Jeannie Johnston, I think about your bout uh, a number of years ago with Gillian Bure. Uh, this is a very debilitating, very paralyzing disease. And I remember numerous times going to visit Jeannie when she lay in the hospital bed unable to move. And they had someone there with her to scratch her nose or swat a fly or do whatever she needed because she could do literally nothing for herself. And I've never forgotten that God brought you back. And, and you know, in that kind of um, danger, in those kind of, of horribly dangerous and critical um, circumstances, it's, it's obvious to us that God was not finished with you and your time was preserved because your purpose wasn't finished. I don't know how else to look at it. I don't know how else to think about it because... We can all point to, to exceptions and say, well, what about so-and-so? Uh, God didn't protect them in that car accident, and they passed away. And the only response that I can give, or the only answer that I have, is that he protected up them until that time. And then it was the end of their time or their purpose. Trouble may happen. This is the difference from the first one. The first one was God's preventing hand. This part, I'm talking about God's preserving hand. He didn't prevent the accident, but he preserved my life. He kept me alive. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is the promise that he gives to me. He didn't prevent the lion from lying in wait. He just let me stomp right over top of it and keep going. And maybe the lion got hold of a, of a piece of my pant leg or my shoe but he didn't devour me. And this is why I can be brave and I can be bold and I can be confident and I can be courageous. Um, and so we, in other words, the difference in perspective, to go back to the first one where I said we can live unafraid of threats, I think we can also live unafraid of consequences. Consequences are going to come. We're going to get sick. sick. We're going to get injured. We're going to get beat up at times. But 
In other words, the, the angels are not always going to come and push these things back and keep them away from us. Sometimes we will not be prevented from, sometimes we will have consequences that are, that are dangerous and devastating and hurtful to us. But guess what? God will preserve our life. And so we can still be unafraid as long as we're following his will. He says here, I will be with you in trouble and I will protect you. Um, I don't know anything about Madeline Langle. I remember uh, reading, uh, I remember, uh, uh, I know she's an author. And I, I'm not embracing her theology or anything. I don't know anything about her, but I thought this was an interesting quote. She said, sometimes we have to be more brave than we can be because God is calling us to be more than we are. In other words, um, let God stretch you. And when you say, oh, this is my limit. I'm not brave enough to walk out any farther on this bridge, on this swinging bridge. Sometimes, this lady is saying, we have to the process of life that God is, is bringing us through is to force us to be more brave than we think we could because he's got something for us to do that we have a greater level of bravery needed for. And I thought it was an interesting way to think, to think about this. Um, let me pray, and I'd like for us to sing about the promises of God that sustain us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this promise, these promises that, that you will protect us, that you will be with us, that, that we don't need to fear threats. We don't need to fear anything, even if it's a lion roaring in our path or a snake hissing at our feet. We can have great courage. Be the water that fills us so that we have no fear of the flames underneath us, we pray today. Each of us come to you to dwell in the secret place, the shadow, the overpowering, all-protecting shadow that you've put upon our lives. In Jesus' name.